I met a girl once at a, at a party and she came up to me. She said, you're so skinny. And I get that all the time. And it, it, I would always say it's genetic. You know, I wouldn't just say I have an eating disorder. But I was I decided I was like, she said, you're so, so, so skinny. And I said, yeah, I said, I suffer from an eating disorder. And she took me into a bedroom and she sat on the bed with me and she wanted to talk to me about it. She was generally interested. Life is a trip. No matter where you've been or where you're going, you might have more in common with someone on the other side of the world than you think. Let's go. Hello, Life's a Trip listeners. It's your host, Gio, and I'm just coming on here to provide a short trigger warning for anyone listening who might suffer from anxiety, depression, and or an eating disorder. These are some topics that we'll be discussing as well as suicide, so if you are triggered by any of these topics, I just wanted to tell you to be cautious while listening and definitely seek help if you think that might be necessary or if you have a loved one who you think might suffer from any of these disorders and mental health issues. So, I will have some resources linked in the show notes if that's something you're looking for. Um, and just a couple websites in case you're curious, there is um, eatingdisorderhope.com and also beateatingdisorders.org.uk and the helpline for that one is 0808-801-0677. So please feel free to use any of these resources if they apply to you and yeah, just be cautious while listening to this episode. I hope you guys enjoy it and it is a little bit more of a personal episode focusing more on mental health and definitely an interesting one. So I hope you guys have a great rest of your week and thank you again for listening. Hi everybody, welcome back to the Life's a Trip podcast. Today's episode, we are featuring Morgan Roberts. She's an American blogger who's passionate about mental health and an advocate for those who suffer from eating disorders. So thank you so much, Morgan, for coming in here today. You're welcome. Yeah, super excited. Um, So your current situation with the quarantine, let's go into that right away because all of us are thinking about that, you know. What's your routine like and how are things over there in the U.S. for you? Uh, Matt, well, in the U.S., it's pretty bad. Um, yeah. I, so I live in Arkansas, and we're one of the, last I checked, seven states that don't have a stay-in-place order. Oh, uh, wow, really? Mm-hmm. Because, I didn't even know that. Yeah, everybody else does. And uh, the governor, the way he has it, is, or laid it out was, there's no statistics proving that a stay-in-place order is positively affecting numbers. Our numbers are lower than people that have stay-in-place. And there's a grading scale, actually, I don't know, of the states. And Wyoming has an F, and I'm pretty sure Arkansas just got an F, but Wyoming also has the least amount of coronavirus cases and no stay-in-place order. Oh, wow. Yeah, so... A lot of people are looking at us like we're not doing our part, but we are still social social distancing, staying home as much as we can, and not gathering, um, mm-hmm. wearing face masks to Walmart, and all that stuff. Yeah, sure. Have events been canceled over there at all, though? Oh, yeah. Everything's... Restaurants are shut down. Events are shut down. I'm mm-hmm. out of a job. Haven't worked since March 24th. Gosh. Yeah, and the unemployment process is uh, a nightmare. Yeah, I bet. It's definitely something I've heard a lot from my relatives as well that are in the States, and it's just terrible the way they're handling it. I really hope that things get better. I'm sorry to hear that. How was it over there? 
In, in Germany, it's it's been, uh, you know, pretty good. I think the way they've handled it. Um, I think that's also one of the reasons I moved out here, to be honest, is because besides just to be with my partner, with my boyfriend, like, I think it was also a really smart decision considering the current situation because, like, they do have unemployment benefits. They have, like, a lot of, like, everything set up very well. You know, it's a well-oiled machine out here. The Germans kind of have that locked down in their healthcare as well. So they've been, if you've been into, in contact with anyone or if they've heard that you've visited a country that's been affected, you get you have to get tested, and they have testing implemented uh, right away. Even one of my boyfriend's friends got tested as soon as he came back from Colombia because of the whole situation. So things here are, are pretty okay. Like it was, you know, we're next to Italy, so it was heavily impacted, and I know there have been a lot of deaths. But I mean, thank goodness most people I know are fine, and we're just hoping that we can go outside soon because we are all going a bit crazy here. You know, it's been almost a month just being stuck at home, and and it's it's difficult. So our set date to go back to normal, Trump says, is April 30th. Mm -hmm. Do y'all have a set date? Of, is it the same over there? It's not really set. Like, the thing is, we live in the south of Germany, so it's also a bit different. Um, every, like, state in Germany has, like, different regulations. So my boyfriend's from the north, and in the north they actually are letting people see their families for Easter, just as long as it's not a huge gathering. So, yeah, it's really, it's I don't know, it's interesting. But here in the south, like, they were saying they might open schools up again after April 19th. Um, and I think they're going to slowly release people out, but probably starting with, like, younger people who need to go like just on a yeah I guess on that basis like whoever needs to go can go and I'm honestly not sure though like there's still so many different you know as you know probably yeah. like in the news there's so many conflicting opinions and conflicting like news and and government even uh advice from people so it's it's mm -hmm. difficult yeah they yeah. said we don't gather for Easter and I've I feel like a lot of people have forgotten tomorrow tomorrow is Easter yeah just it's this crazy whole I know. <laughs> That's pretty sad. Yeah, I know. Well, speaking of that, like mental health and everything that you're passionate about, um, what is your blog about specifically and like how has that journey been for you? Like when did you start out blogging and, and sort of how has that been for you? I started December. This December will be uh, three years I've had it. I started a podcast that I want focused on mental health okay. and I wanted my blog to be kind of associated but the blog to be focused more on the eating disorder part and then the podcast to be uh, other mental health and so I would link my podcast to that to my blog um, so that's one reason that I've stopped writing on it a little bit because writing is one of my passions. I love, I love writing. Mm -hmm. Um, I just, I deal with it every day. My, I deal with my depression, my anxiety, my panic disorder, my eating disorder every day, mm -hmm. getting on the podcast along with the blog was just, it, I didn't, I didn't want to keep doing that. You know, I wanted to talk yeah. about something different. So with, uh, I still learning about and like about life my new podcast it just you know topics are endless and I can include mental health when I need to and talk about other things and not just solely focus on that that makes mm -hmm. sense yeah totally yeah I can give you burnout for sure I, I mean I feel the same way I also suffer from anxiety and I just think it's it's really hard to focus on your passions and that's also one of the things I was going to ask you like how do you manage to stay creative or what what sort of brings you back to being in that headspace again where you can actually invest into your passion projects because you know it's a spiral you can get really down on yourself and feel like it's not perfect enough either when you have anxiety especially mm -hmm. yeah well yeah. just this coming getting ready for this was a uh um uh yeah, project yeah. because that's so much anxiety. I know. but <laughs> i started the blog one day i i was 107 pounds and i messaged my little brother and i told him that that's when i realized that it, it was bad mm -hmm. you know and um, went to the doctor to get blood work and everything with my mom. So, you know, my family knew and they're very supportive. Um, and then I just decided to start writing about it and getting it out. And I actually have had local people, Faithful's pretty small. So a few local people would come up and say they read it and that it mm -hmm. helped in some sort of a way, whether it was 
an eating disorder or with their anxiety or something else. And so that kept me going. Um, and I'm always walking around with a notebook, like I to jot notes down, or mm-hmm. I have a little recorder to if something pops up in my head, just record it. No, and I, I mean, I totally, I totally understand where you're coming from with the whole like feeling anxious about you know getting back into these things, and also where you do feel like there's um, you know some sort of thing you, you sort of owe it to people as well who are also suffering the same way as you are. You know, it's it's sort of. Mm-hmm. Like, you feel like you have an obligation, I guess, to put something out there so other people don't feel so alone. Like, I, um, my best friend was, you know, suicidal for some time. And, you know, I'm really glad that it, her attempts didn't work out because I'm very thankful to have her around. But it was something I struggled with to understand that and to really accept that that is a, a disease. A depression can be a disease. And it is so, um, you know, it, it degrades, like, your brain. And it can really, like be so impactful to those around you as well and hard for them to understand so honestly like having that information out there online was something that helped me understand her and understand myself when I get those feelings of depression which I've never been diagnosed but I know that I anxiety and those are hand in hand at times so it can be really hard to avoid getting to that point you know I for I just recently probably this uh I'm my days run together now um maybe this last year just accepted that depression because I've had uh, suicidal attempts and mm-hmm. when I would go they would say you know you're depressed and I would think you know no I'm not I'm happy but it was just recently that I accepted that I do have depression and like the suicidal thoughts and everything go along with it and people people think that or assume some people will assume that if someone does something like that, it's for attention or, mm-hmm. and for me, it's like, I, it, it's, it's a mental disorder and I, it don't, so I don't know what triggers it sometimes, but, um, as of now it's under control, that part is under control and, um, yeah, I mean, the, every, like putting my stuff out there was scary mm-hmm. and but the people do need to um be educated about depression mental health and not think that it's just that we're all crazy and dangerous or the yeah. stigma behind it you know yeah I agree. And and I think there's also like a, there's a conflicting opinion, I guess, about medication when it comes to mental health and also like taking pills for depression, pills for anxiety. Like what is, what has been your experience around that? Have you ever heard like that you have to be on medication and and been against that or that, you know, have you, have you ever had like, I guess, conflicting opinions around that as well? Uh Well, since I've, um, okay. So I developed my disorder around the age of 20 uh, my best friend mm-hmm. passed away and that's so an eating disorder can kind of you can stem from trauma mm-hmm. and um i have been on my doctor put me on a, a wellbutrin which you're not supposed to give to people with a uh, eating disorders because it uh, reduces your appetite my doctor gave it to me anyways oh. And there's a lot of medications. There's an SSRI and an SSI. And then SSRIs are cause, I'm not going to give it a statistic, but a lot of deaths in younger people Mm -hmm. um, from suicide. Yeah. And he, uh, I now, I've been through my share of different trials and now Mm -hmm. I'm an SSI which it's my I didn't drive a car for six six years because my panic disorder was so bad Mm -hmm. that I would think that I'd have these thoughts racing through my head that I'm not I'm gonna forget how to stop at a stoplight and Mm -hmm. that my bodily my bodily functions were just gonna I'm not gonna remember how to do anything and it's so very Nobody thinks like that, but that's just the way my mind would work. And I would shake and I'd have to pull over. And then, um, so I didn't drive for six years. Yeah. But in my community, you can walk and um, 
to get to a lot of places. And okay. so this new medicine I'm, I'm on is allowed me to do a lot of things that I haven't been able to do for quite a while. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm for medication. I think yeah. if you need something to fix some whatever is wrong or loose screws in your whatever, I mean, I'm, yeah. Yeah, no, and I agree completely. I think everyone, you know, it, for me, it was like, you know, when my therapist said maybe you should consider um, Xanax, whatever, you know, something similar along those lines, something to help with the anxiety with the panic attacks only on a as, need base, as needed basis. Like, I was feeling like really conflicted because uh, my family, for example, has a little bit closed-minded beliefs, like you should just use holistic methods. Why would you need that? You shouldn't put that in your body. And honestly, I just want, I think, others to know out there, like, it is up to that person how they handle their journey around mental health like everyone has a different mind no one is the same in terms of their brain and how it functions and honestly I um, tried that route it didn't work out for me it was better for me to just use other methods and you know I've also had uh, trial and error I mentioned on a previous episode like I I, um, decided to use you know alcohol for like self-medicating and that was not helpful at all you know it's just it's a trial and error process and it's something that everyone has to decide on their own so I'm really glad that it worked out for you in that way you know, that's what others should know out there, that it doesn't make you a crazy person if you need to be on medication. If it helps you get through your day and then it, it's better than resorting to alcohol or mm-hmm. any sort of drug, mm-hmm. in my opinion. I have exactly. know people that do resort to alcohol to help with their anxiety. And I mean, it can be tough for sure. And it's, it's something that's so easily accessible as well, which is, uh, I think, one of the harder things about living in the U.S. I, I also mentioned that on an episode about uh, differences between Germany and the U.S., that here the pharmacies are a bit more strict and you can't really access, you know, medication so easily. And they do try to take care of you and inform you as much as possible. And for me, like back in California, I felt like you could just buy anything off the shelves and, you yeah. know, any drugs that are can be fatal, to be honest, if you have them in, in uh, large quantities quantities. So definitely people need to be careful out there and consult a therapist as well. You know, I don't know if you went to therapy at all, but that was super helpful for me with my anxiety. I I mean, I've had plenty of different doctors, Mm -hmm. um, but the one that I have now is who, who put me on what I'm currently on. And, um, but before that it was just, you know, take Klonopin, but that doesn't prevent me from, that's just if I'm having one, but I need, you know, something to go ahead and just prevent me from having a panic attack. Exactly. Yeah. So yeah, you have to function in daily life, you know, it's just, that's how it is. And especially to work and live in, in the way society is where people can be closed minded and they don't really understand like why you need a day off, for example. That's another difference between Germany and the U.S. Like sometimes you just can't go to work <laughs> because yeah, of your mental health. Mental health day. Yeah. yeah, exactly. I'm curious how um, you said your family kind of knew about your eating disorder. Um, how did they react to that and, and also um, or your friends? And, and how did you, I guess, navigate that towards in the beginning? Well, at first, I um, so uh, in my blog, it, I start uh, bulimorexia. So at first I was bulimic and then anorexic at the mm-hmm. same time. And I... Um, was so naive that my family didn't know anything that I would like for instance I we were at a Thanksgiving and I ate and then I said I have to go to the bathroom if I'm in there too long it's I forgot what my excuse was but my family knew what I was doing and um you know finally my dad asked me you know what do I need to do for you to keep you eating, keep you, keep you going. And he was very, very supportive. And, you know, he would ask me what I want from the grocery store, what I'm, you know, as far as like salads, like, you know, specific things that I would eat. And he would buy those for me just so, you know, I would eat. Mm-hmm. And um, my, my family's just been very supportive. My friends didn't have an, a clue that I had one, an eating disorder, and but they've also, I've been very lucky. They've all been very supportive. That's really great to hear. I mean, not not everyone gets so lucky. And I think um, with one of my friends who also went through that, it was like, for me, it was shocking. And I didn't know how to approach her, to be honest. So 
Um, I, for example, went over to her house one time and all of the mirrors were covered with like magazine pages just to cover the everything. And so she wouldn't see herself basically, but I didn't understand that at all. It was so weird for me. And I just, I, I made me a bit angry as well because I was like, why, you know, why do you do this? You're a beautiful person. I don't understand. And so like for those out there who see their friends going through that, especially that was when we were teenagers, you know, even young people who might be listening, like what do you recommend for someone, um, how they should approach their friend uh, or family member even who's going through that? Uh, um, well, first, just be supportive. And, um, you know, you you said you, you didn't know what to think about the covering the mirrors. And my I had an eating disorder therapist for a little bit, and she suggested doing that because mm-hmm. – what I would do is I would constantly, I would walk by this mirror and judge myself all the time. And so I would, she said, cover it and don't look at it. And um, a trigger, uh, one of the biggest things for me, and it's sad because I know my family just means well when they say these things. Mm-hmm. Um, for, in, for instance, my mom commented, you know, you look good. You, um, you look healthy. Yeah. And for me, that's a trigger to, it just triggers my brain and says, I don't oh I've gained weight and I go back to my eating disorder at that time will go will I'll backtrack yeah any progress that I may have made mm-hmm. which I and it's sad I wrote I wrote that uh, there, I have a blog piece about that exact thing and it, it would make me sad to tell my mom you know you can't as much as you want to tell me that I look good like you it's it's a trigger for me, yeah. and I think it's a trigger for um, a lot of people with eating disorders. Yeah, I've heard that as well. Where people, you know, they want to they mean well by trying to comment something about your appearance, but it's just mm-hmm. I think so. Basically, I think what you're saying is like in the end, maybe just don't say anything about their appearance at all, like in terms of that. Yeah, their weight, mm-hmm. whether they've gained weight or lost it. Because if you say, "Oh, you're so skinny." that's that's uh, that's gonna fuel them to be like mm-hmm. oh great I'm, I'm doing i'm doing good in a way yeah it's like yeah. backwards you know um yeah, for sure and you also just not forcing them to eat because that can cause more anxiety and then and then it'll make it could make or it would make me want to pretend like that i am eating healthy when i'm not just mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, we're, we're constantly, you know, bombarded with like, especially as women, like what should be, what is healthy, what kind of trends we should be on. I mean, honestly, even living in Germany, I've noticed with the magazines, like all of these things talking about how it's summer now, you should have that summer body. Here's some diet tips. Here's a juice cleanse you can do. Like, it's so crazy to me. It really affects you, you know, when you see in the media and also on social media, how many diet trends are going around and how many people are going for a certain weight and working on that number. Like, it's just, it's so dumb for people to also rely on on a number to define themselves, you know. Mm-hmm. I think that's, it's really hard to get out of that mentality, but it's something that I'm sure you've suffered with. And it's, it's really, I think it's just really difficult to get out of that um, cloud of media that surrounds us constantly. I don't know what your experience has been like on social media. Have you ever like also had to maybe shut down an Instagram profile or not looked at any profiles on social media because of that? Mm-hmm. Uh, for a while, yeah, I would follow the, this. like, I don't use Instagram that much anymore, mm-hmm. but I would follow the accounts of diet trends or the fit tees that the celebrities would post. Oh, yeah, I remember those. <laughs> I have completely cut myself off from that. And as far as any other social media, I just use like my Snapchat and Facebook to connect with family. I, but I've pretty much cut myself off from anything that has to do with body related images and what you should look like. Mm -hmm. Definitely. That's really good. I guess, you know, I think that's something probably most people who are having these thoughts should do because that's something a lot of my friends with depression have also had to do because it's just, you see people as this fake happiness that they put online and it's just not realistic. And it can also make you feel like, why am I not doing that right now? Why do I not look like that right now? Just so many negative thoughts that can come into your mind, you know? If you see a picture of a skinny girl, and you you will look at it and say, why am I not that skinny? Well, I'm going to try to get that skinny. But mm-hmm. it's also not about just numbers and being skinny. There's a saying, 
uh, what is it? There's no such thing as not sick enough. Like, mm -hmm. don't have to be sick then to have an eating disorder. You can, there's overeating disorders. There's disorders from trauma that don't relate to counting calories. So, I mean, who's to say who has an eating disorder or not? As for yeah. me, it's for, it stems from childhood trauma. It stems from the past 10 years of my life trauma. And then it slowly progressed into um, counting numbers, calories, and my weight. And my OCD, OCD for me plays a part in my eating disorder too. So okay. when I go to Walmart, I go to the same aisle. I get the same foods. I don't... I don't go into because I'm not I'm not gonna buy anything. I'm just not gonna buy still to the say I won't like bread. I don't I won't buy bread. I don't buy I don't buy substantial meals. I okay. buy snacks like granola mm -hmm. bar crackers. That's what my kitchen is like right now. My fridge is empty, but I have my little snacks. You go to my boyfriend's house. He's got a fridge freezer full of food. And I, I just, can't, I can't, it's hard to picture myself with a fridge full of food, <laughs> badly. Mm. Well, I think there's a lot of misconceptions around eating disorders. Like, as you mentioned, it can be, it's not just what people think, which could be, you know, the throwing up thing, the, you know, eating, eat, overeating. There are so many different um, ways to define that. And so I appreciate you breaking that down a little bit. And I think it's, it's also, like you said, difficult right now um, when you go to your boyfriend's house, you know, seeing somebody having all this food and, and having that, like you need, you have your necessities and you're used to what you have. And so mm -hmm. I'm curious with the, with the whole quarantine situation, how have you been navigating food? Well, you know, everybody goes to the grocery store and they're buying mm -hmm. food you know, there's buying food for a, a month or so or think, you know, whatever. And I'm still going and buying my granola. It's the same. I like, I have my little path planned out. It's, it's, mm -hmm. strange. and I've even thought one time that I would do something where I test myself and go down the aisles that I would not and put what I would want to buy. Mm -hmm. if, like what I would want to buy because there's things that I would want to buy and put them in my basket, not necessarily buy them, but see the difference in like what I would want to buy and what I'm actually buying. Yeah. I just haven't done that yet. Mm -hmm. <laughs> to me, that's scary. But even if I'm not buying the um, food, but my boyfriend is very supportive and he um, always cooks me or is always cooking um a substantial meal that benefits, you know, caters to my, my needs as far as mm -hmm. food. Yeah. Uh, and without him, I, I would be a lot worse off than I am with my eating disorder, with my eating disorder right now. Mm -hmm. And it is under control. I, I think with all of this going on, like my eating disorder, I've had to accept that will be a part of my life forever. I think it like the, I always look at calories on the back of a box. Um, I don't count them. I mm -hmm. used to, I used to limit my calorie number, but I don't do that anymore. Well, I will still count. I was, I, I will always look at the back of a box. Right. Or something, but I, yeah, like I don't limit my calorie intake. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, and as far as I am right now with the eating disorder, it's still there in the back of my mind all the time. And it's yeah. exhausting. You wake up, you think about food. I'm constantly thinking about food. I go to sleep thinking about food. It's, it is, it's exhausting. And that's what people don't get. It's not a lifestyle choice. If I could just go and eat that, then I wouldn't be sitting here talking with you today. Exactly. It's that simple. And you know, the public is not educated enough to understand that side of an eating disorder. It's just like, go eat something, go eat a sandwich. Well, it's not that it's not at easy <laughs> to eat a sandwich or exactly. I would eat it, you know? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I mean, yeah, I think it's, that's exactly what I said earlier, you know, like people have misconceptions and I think people are also, they're afraid 
when you say that word, even like eating disorder, those two words like eating disorder, you know, people are a bit triggered. They want to help, I think. They maybe mean well, but a lot of people can be, you know, a little bit too forward in terms of wanting to know certain things or a little bit too judgmental as well, um, mm-hmm. especially in school. Like, I guess you didn't deal with it in high school, right? You said you got it when you were like 20, in your 20s. That I love that you bring that up. So yeah. since I've started think like thinking or the since the blog, and I've had to think back and backtrack to when I was younger. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. There, I can now see as I'm older um, signs of an eating disorder, even when I was 13, 12, 13. Oh wow! Like that, I would compare the thigh gap between my legs, mm-hmm. but I didn't know what I was doing. Or if there was a bone sticking out here, or um, I was always the smallest person in my class, uh, but I, I ate as much as I as I wanted to. But I could I can now see small signs of I guess a potential eating disorder, or mm-hmm. and then maybe the trauma and all that stuff just blew it up and yeah. There it is, but I can't pinpoint when I I say after my friend passed that it started, but it was there as early as 12 and 13. No, my family doesn't even know that part. I think that's something you also realize later on, like you said, because uh, with my anxiety, I also had some trauma when I was um, 15 and 16, going around that age, you know, and it was just when it really fully escalated to me being afraid of going in elevators, being afraid of going to movie theaters, like being afraid of crowds, which is something that I could control. You know, I think that's what my therapist said was like, it, it's hard to explain anxiety and, and everything else, I'm sure with um, on your in your case as well. But for people to understand it, it's like, it's just something that I can sort of control, I can be OCD about that, you know, about what I get at the store, like in your case, or about not going in the elevator, taking the stairs instead, like just something small, but it's something that just, I would get panic attacks. And it's just so hard for people to understand, like, that's what I really wanted to, you know, get the point across with this episode, like, don't just tell someone don't think about it, Uh, you'll get over it. It's not something you get over. This is a serious thing. Like people, it's a it's a for life thing, as you mentioned, it can be for your entire life that you will always have this issue and it's it's not a weakness I had someone call it a weakness you know like okay well sorry that inconvenience inconveniences you but this is what I deal with you know that's what why I say that the public's not educated enough and mental Mm -hmm. health is we should take care of our mental health our brain just like we were to take care of our heart it's an organ it's you know it doesn't you don't judge someone with this condition, but if you have any sort of mental disorder, you're labeled as difficult, crazy, a lot of words. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> totally. If you go to therapy, I mean, that's, I also say, I mean, is one of the bravest things that someone with, can, someone can do mm-hmm. is getting help from yeah. a professional. Yeah. But a lot of people won't do that because they don't want to be judged or labeled or, you know. Mm-hmm. I'm curious, how does um, the whole fitness and workouts fall under the whole eating disorder umbrella? Like, was that something you also um, utilize, I guess, to lose weight? Or is it something you've heard about? Is is something that p- falls under that? Um, I'm just curious if that's part of it. Because I've also seen that in films, like where there are some people with eating disorders who just do a bunch of push-ups and work out like super yeah. hard cardio before bed to try to burn off the calories, for example. Mm-hmm. I think I know what movie you're talking there's a movie that's coming into my head that I can't think yeah, of. Yeah, yeah. I can't she would, remember the name. She would wake in the middle of the night to an alarm and she would get on the floor and she would do push-ups. Yeah, exactly. No, I've, I I have a gym membership that I, I haven't been to the gym in like a year, but I still pay. It's not been, that has not been my, uh, one of the things that along with my eating disorder. Also, and me going to a gym, being small, I automatically feel like if I'm on a treadmill like I love cardio I'm mm-hmm. a love like a, I ran in high school and all that I feel like people are looking at me negatively mm-hmm. because I'm on a treadmill and I'm already small why are you on the or if I'm trying to lift weights uh which I do um why are you doing that mm-hmm. I, I yeah. just feel uh 
So I avoid the gym, but I still pay for a gym membership. <laughs> <laughs> I think a lot of us are, are falling under that boat as well. So <laughs> I feel you there. But I, I think it's also something that comes with anxiety. I've felt the same way where I'm like, who like who gave me the right to like go and lift weights as if I could do that? You know, it's just why should I even try? It, it's just a lot of, you know, and anxious thoughts that that go to your mind when you're approaching a gym and it can be especially difficult I guess when you have an eating disorder but and it's also like annoying because it's something you're passionate about like with running as you mentioned Mm -hmm. so is that another outlet that you used um to sort of get your mind off of food like what what have been some other ways I know you have the blog the podcast and did you also like go running or what were some other methods you used I guess to get your mind off of that or to sort of help your your mental health and do some self-care I don't necessarily do anything Mm -hmm. okay well I mean I guess my podcast and the blog just because that was a way for me to express myself Mm -hmm. and help other people but I don't it's always at the forefront of my thoughts, but sometimes it will just, it's a subconscious thought. Like I'm not actively, like it, it's uh, what is it? I'm going through the motions, but I don't realize it. So I'm yeah. not thinking about it, but I'm still doing the same routine. Or am I eating? Does that make sense? Yeah, it's like subconscious, like you said. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, like I've done the same. Like I, I avoid things because I'm just used to avoiding them. And then I don't really realize it when, until someone says that, like, oh, why don't you do that? And I'm like, oh, I don't know. I just never, <laughs> never do Actually, it. My really good friends, my therapist told me once, she said, um, it, it can be dangerous for someone with an eating disorder to, you know, once you start eating, eating again, mm-hmm. uh, that, and, at my point now, I have lost hunger cues, so I forget to eat, and I, you know, I don't have the cue of, I'm hungry, eat something. So she, one of my really good friends, and she, my therapist actually did, um, suggested, you know, you make alarms on your phone to mm-hmm. rem- have to remind myself to eat because I no longer know that I'm hungry. So that's also something that anyone with an eating disorder can do. And she made about 10 different alarms, like eat this, eat this, you know, and that works. It can work. For sure. And I'm curious if you're comfortable, like what, what is something that you do eat when those alarms go off? Like how do you sort of maintain your health, I guess, in that way? If, if you are suffering from an eating disorder, what should somebody use as like a, a snack, I guess, that works? Or is it just everyone has their own sort of thing? Well, my therapist told me, I mean, everyone can have their own thing, I guess, but she suggested um, nuts, um, avocado toast, uh, Mm -hmm. uh, a fruit or a vegetable, um, something that's just not going to overwhelm you. But as long as you're getting some nutrients throughout the day, you're, you're helping yourself, you're bettering yourself. So like I will do uh, my granola bars or my crackers uh nuts just just whatever at the time my alarm goes off feels right right yeah and it made me hard to actually fulfill that alarm and do it but if you're really trying to get better then that's then you got to stick to it Mm mm-hmm And you've mentioned like compared to, you know, when you first realized you had an eating disorder and started working on that, that now your progress has been better. Like, what does that look like for somebody who's struggling with an eating disorder? Like, what does it mean to actually get better or even to recover? Like, is there a sense of recovery that's possible or is it always like you mentioned, can it always be just something subconscious and you have to deal with it? Like, I guess, what does it look like, you know, the whole journey from, like, start to actually feeling like you can you can navigate the world and still have this, I guess? You see, a part of me feels hypocritical, like, mm-hmm. um, with, in my blog, I, I show progression, but I'm not, I felt hypocritical because I was not fully um, cured, I guess you could say. Yeah. And, um... That's a really hard question to answer because I, uh, I've heard, I've read books about, actually there's a book called Life Without Ed and she named her eating disorder Ed. Mm. And um, because your eating disorder 
is your friend and your worst enemy. He, your, your eating disorder tells you all these negative things, but then he's your best friend because he's always there whenever you need, that's your coping skill or something. You can fall right. back on, yeah. your, on your eating disorder. And I have written about what my life would be like without it, without an eating disorder. And I can't remember what my life was like without it. And yeah. I know what my life would be like in the future without it. Like, I don't know what my mind would be consumed with anymore because mm-hmm. it's certainly consumed with it. And so for me to say that I know what progression looks like or true progression looks like or being cured uh, mm-hmm. I, I, with that book, she wrote the book and she was not fully, she was still in her eating disorder, but she was towards, she was recovering and towards the end of it. So she initially re- rewrote or the ending because she felt the need to tell everybody that she had not recovered and now she officially has. Oh, interesting. Yeah. So, and I told you that I've accepted that I'll have it forever. Mm -hmm. Um, I hope I don't have it forever, but I, like I said, it's scary to see myself without it. And if something were to happen or my coping Am I just going to resort back to the eating disorder? Right. Of course. And I mean, not everyone is going to recover. And that's what people need to understand is like, you know, you shouldn't force someone to try to think about the future either or try to like push that idea of being cured because sometimes there really isn't. And I think with anxiety, it's the same thing. Like I also accepted that this is the thing that I'm, I don't know what my life will look like if I have a family one day. Like, I don't know how I'm going to handle that, to be honest. But that's why you have to just be present and take it one day at a time, I guess I would say. Because, you know, it. I think at least what you can say now is you're, you know, coming up to this point, you're certainly in a better spot maybe than you were before when you started. And that's all you have to say. I mean, you might still do some negative things, but that's that's all you have to accept is that, you know, now you've had, you have support. People know about it, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, being so open. And when I started it, the blog, my first one, I was 107 pounds. And I was, my doctor told me my organs were failing and that me walking was, was I shouldn't be walking. Mm-hmm. And going from there, from that to now, I'm not recovered. I still have an eating disorder. I still do my rituals with it. But I have made a small progression as far as um, like the blog and this and mm-hmm. um, which helps me in a way to want to can get get even better. No, I mean, that's really great. I think it's 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 good for people out there to know that there are, you know, different coping mechanisms they can use and also to know that they have um, allies. You know, I think that's one of the best things that's helped me is like, I'm not crazy. I'm not the only person who has these thoughts. Um, So many people from my high school and college, they tell me now that they also have anxiety or depression or you know, other mental health issues right now, but that's something that they feel good that they have a unison, like a sense of, you know, unison with everyone else and that they, they're not suffering by themselves. So I think that's, if anything we can take from this, it's, it's that, you know, Mm -hmm. but we're still cast in a a separate group. I feel like we can have, we have our, each other's backs as people with mental health issues, but I feel like a, a line drawn mental health and then everything else. exactly yeah no totally definitely I mean and the only way that um that can change is by doing things like this and um Mm -hmm. accepting it don't you are not you are not your disorder you are you and you just have have a disorder so like instead of saying I'm bipolar you know I have bipolar disorder um don't become your disorder right that's a really good point yeah a lot of people should definitely pay attention to that one because it's it's a great tip to go through life with I think and um I guess if anything like what can you recommend for people to like learn more about these disorders or for especially for society like how can we be more vocal um what other ways can we help fix this issue I guess if anything for a while I want to band together but I but one for a while I wanted to do Fayetteville's really good about like um 
March is, is it March? Mental Health Awareness Month. I've always wanted to put on a mental health awareness march mm-hmm. and go down Dixon Street and just raise awareness that way and then mm-hmm. donate. If there's donations, donate that towards research of, of whatever. And But that's just a small community as far as, you know, globally. Uh, you know, they think that the people that go and shoot these schools have mental disorders. They don't. Mental people with mental issues are less likely to harm someone else or themselves more than they are to harm harm someone else. Yeah. No, I mean, totally. People need to understand that as well. I think it's, there's just a lot of misconceptions. And I think people, like I said, are afraid to ask questions. So maybe on a global level, like me approaching you in this way and like being, you know, you being open to, to talking about it. And, and also, like, people asking questions in a, in a polite way, of course, is, is just a great way to sort of break the stigma around these disorders and to spread information, like, correct information rather than misinformation, you know? A hundred percent. A hundred percent. But it have this, it'd be this, but it needs to be on a bigger scale. Exactly. Well, I mean, you're helping as well with your blog and and your podcast. I do think that's a really great initiative as well in in your local community that you want to do that. It does start locally. Like as as you start doing that, you will have people in your community who are like, wow, this was really powerful. I know someone who suffered from that. I'm going to start to spread the word about this, you know, so people don't you know, at the dinner table, judge you. Like I was going to say when you mentioned, you know, people making comments um, as a Latina, like we have in our family always like your grandmother or somebody will grab your arm and say, you need to eat more. Like, come on, let me feed you. It's like they they just think that's okay. And that's really not like, come on, you need to be more sensitive. Like, or they say you're, you're getting fat. Like, okay, what's going on? You know, like, okay, don't say that. Like, Yeah. I had an older lady tell me the other day that I need to eat something. Oh, mm-hmm. at my job, I work with dogs, and um, she wanted me to stay for a class, and I was like, I'm going to go, and she says, yeah, you need to eat something, and I was this older lady, and I was like, well, I, I didn't need to hear that, and one Thanksgiving dinner, um, we had some of my mom's friends over, and this lady was sitting across the table, and we were eating, and afterwards, she came up to me, and she was like, I was watching you eat, <laughs> I was watching you eat. And I said, uh, and I was like, why, why? And I forget her reasoning. Um, you eat. I guess she was just observing me because of my eating disorder. And my sister, my little sister, got very defensive and was like, you know, don't talk to. You know, you, you can't just ask my sister or tell, watch my sister eat. Why are you doing that? And you, yeah. it, it. People are very. It's very strange. Yeah. I mean, we're all human and we're curious and we like to get involved in other people's lives, but you got to approach people respectfully. That's all, you know? I think mm-hmm. that's, that's you know, something people listening can can take from this as well. Like, if you, if you meet someone who says they've had an eating disorder, like, okay, you can ask questions, but be respectful. And also, if, even if you don't know if someone has had an eating disorder, like, for regular, everyday people, whatever, you know, don't, don't make comments about people's appearance. Don't say they've gained weight. Like, Nobody mm-hmm. needs to hear that. Or even if they got skinnier, like, just, you know, say yeah. they look happy, compliment their clothes. It can be anything else, you know? You don't have to say Always, something about weight. Things to resort to weight, though. And mm-hmm. I, I met a girl once at a, at a party, and she came up to me. She said, you're so skinny. And I get that all the time. And it, it, I would always say it's genetic. You know, I wouldn't just say I have an eating disorder, but... I was, I decided, I was like, she said, you're so, so, so skinny. And I said, yeah, I said, I suffer from an eating disorder. And she took me into a bedroom and she sat on the bed with me and she wanted to talk to me about it. She was generally interested about eating disorders. And uh, I, it, so it was pretty cool. Yeah. But I don't go around and just say that to everybody. It was just the one time. Just, I yeah. just felt very, um. I just wanted to do it, to see what her reaction would be. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Yeah. And it was a positive one. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. So that's another thing, I guess, people who are maybe also having an eating disorder can know that like not everyone has like maybe in, serve as somebody who can inform others as well, you know, if they are curious about it. Um, if you if you are capable at that time, you know, if you're mentally like OK enough to talk about it, like that's a really great way to spread information because a lot of people, they do want to know and they mean well um, mm-hmm. generally, you know, that's what I've had with a lot of my friends who also would make jokes about anxiety and it's like yeah well you know if you really want to know about it and when you want to get serious like I'll let you know I know a lot of people who have also you know depression and I'm very curious as well as an individual like approaching you to know about what your um, struggle has been and how we can you know educate people so that's just it's little steps let's hope that one day you know we'll spread enough information for people to know more and and to not be close-minded well cool I think I'm going to go ahead and uh, go into our closing question um, so this is, you know, switching gears a little bit more on topic with, uh, with travel. I'm curious, what was the best vacation you've ever had and where did you travel to? Well, I don't, I don't travel much, but I went to Costa Rica a couple years ago with my boyfriend at the time, my best friend at the two best friends at the time, and then another friend. And we stayed in a tree house, uh, oh. for and it was amazing, monkeys, everything. And then we stayed the next week in an air uh, B&B to live there, you know, nicer. Mm-hmm. My, my That ex is now dating that then best friend. So oh it's gosh. like, yeah. But it was a great. It was a but good, you had a good time, yeah. <laughs> We've all been there, girl. Ugh. Well, I, yeah, there's some there's some vacations. It's just it's too bad that later on, you know, they get a little bit tainted with that information. But but at least you had a good time. Would you go back? Oh, 100 percent. I have a friend that's from Fayetteville who lives there and he's offered his home, which is right on the beach. I mean, it's a I'm not going to say a shack, but it's a treehouse type home. It's open and um, for free. And mm-hmm. I ask, like, my boyfriend or friends, do you want to go to Costa Rica and live in this pl- house for free for a week? And nobody nobody takes me up on that. But <laughs> Well, maybe because of the quarantine right now, it's not the best time, but definitely later <laughs> would be a great time. Now, but any other time, like, let's go. Yeah, yeah. I would go back. I, it, was, it was a lot of fun. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, hopefully you get to go back one day. And um, and yeah, thank you so much for being on the podcast. It's been super informative. And I think a lot of people will benefit from it. Thank you for having me. And I think um, after this, actually, it's inspired me to get back on my uh, blog and actually write something. Yes, please do. And everybody, I'll have that in the show notes. Like, please check out her blog and her podcast. Can you say the name of your podcast again? I Still Learning. I still learning. <laughs> I still learning. <laughs> I love your accent, by the way. That's really cool. I know, like, I probably have everyone has an accent, but to me, yours is like a little bit different. So it's cool to hear it. Yeah. <laughs> well, thanks, Morgan. We'll um, catch you on your blog then. And we'll check it out. Thank awesome. you so much for having me. It was good to meet you. Yeah, nice to meet you. Follow me on Instagram by searching for at GeoMonreal and check out my blog on GeoMonreal.com. Want to be on the next episode? Send an email to lifeisatrippodcast at gmail.com. Music from purpleplanet.com. 